Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness and well-being and I'm delighted that you're here. Morena everyone, hope you're having a great week and uh, for those of us in New Zealand or Australia, looking forward to the weekend ahead for our, a long weekend Anzac weekend. Today I am super excited to bring to you my conversation with Catherine Switzer and I have to tell you I was blown away by having the opportunity to talk to her, how warm and open and honest she was and as a runner, as runners, I feel like there was just this connection as I do with a whole bunch of the people that I run with that you just sort of know a person on a different level when you have that shared connection. I'm sure I don't need to tell you who Catherine Switzer is but of course for those of you who are unaware Catherine Switzer has long been one of running's most iconic figures. She was the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon after registering as Kay Switzer and is infamous if you like for having pictures splashed of her almost being pulled off the course but she is known for creating positive global social change and is a, such an advocate for women's running and has spent her life in that role. She was instrumental at getting the Olympic marathon up and running for the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. She worked to get a global women's running movement happening by putting on events worldwide in the 70s and 80s prior to that. She has really just opened doors for women in that running space but it is much more than just running for Catherine and the woman that she's been able to influence. Now she is the co-founder of a group called 261 Fearless. 261 being the number that she wore in that Boston Marathon in 1967, whereby she's created a global non-profit organization that uses running as a vehicle to empower and unite women through education programs, local women-only 261 running clubs, and social events. And it's through these networking opportunities that 261 Fearless Incorporated breaks down the barriers of geography and creates a global supportive social running network for women of all abilities and backgrounds to support and communicate with each other. It is amazing what Catherine has done over the years and we certainly of course we talk a little bit about that iconic 1967 Boston Marathon race but more so we talk about the things that Catherine's most proud of you know what was her biggest challenge how she lives her life now we talk about her husband Roger Robinson who is an author and historian and running and how amazing it is what he has done for running and with himself running um, at the age of 80 and Catherine herself is 74 it is absolutely astounding I will of course include all of the links to our conversation that we talk about in the show notes, but for now please enjoy this conversation that I have with Catherine Switzer. Catherine, Catherine Switzer, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. It is an absolute honour. 
Oh, Mickey, I'm so glad to be here. And amazingly enough, we're in the same country. I know. Do you know what an absolute delight it was when I was reading your book? And I read your, obviously, as a runner, I, Catherine Switzer is just a name that is synonymous with women's running. But I finally got around to reading your book late last year and then read, and then at the end it was I was reminded and I, I don't think it's explicit in the book but of course your husband Roger Robinson I'm not sure if he's a Kiwi or if he's from the UK but I knew uh, he sounds Kiwi um, and I'm like that's right you married a Kiwi and you spend half your time in New Zealand and you're in Wellington I know um, yes Roger Robinson is much better known in New Zealand than I am which is great fun because um, it gives me a break <laughs> <laughs> from telling the Boston Marathon story. Don't worry. I know we're going to ask and I'll tell you about the Boston Marathon story. But no, he, he um, is originally a Brit, but immigrated when he was very young, 25, um, for a, um, an opportunity to teach uh, at the university. In, at, it was at Canterbury and mm. then became the youngest professor ever um, chair um, in Wellington at Amazing. Victoria and had a, a really brilliant career there. But, you know, you and I know him probably first and foremost as an incredible runner oh, and, yes. and writer of the sport. I mean, his books are just fantastic. Yes, and I've been following his Facebook page. And actually, I was listening to a podcast, Catherine, a couple of weeks ago, and you were, it was the 261 Fearless podcast, I believe. And um, you would talk, someone asked you, you know, who is the, you know, some of your biggest inspirations in your life? And you mentioned um, Roger and the fact that at 80, he is running two hours a day. I'm not sure if that, no, not two hours a day. That's not right. He, he can run two hours and he runs 10 kilometers. And he basically, after having, I may be wrong, I think it's knee surgery, he just built himself back up. Two knee replacements. Right. I mean, I, you know, uh, and it was really funny because when, with the first one, you know, he was 72, I think. And, um, and it was tearful, you know, we, that was essentially the end of a brilliant running career. And the doctor yeah. said, now you can walk on this, but you can't run on it. And Roger said, why can't I, why can't I run on it? And he said, oh, well, no, 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 no. And basically it came down to the fact that it wore the device out sooner. So oh. Rod, Roger said, what do you think? I said, buy a new one, run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? What, right? what, what is money for? I mean, I mean, yeah. I'd mortgage the house to be able to run. <laughs> oh, you know? and you know, Catherine, that's, that's, I absolutely hear you. And, you know, you, I love running and someone, you know, and I have thought before that I can't possibly put into words how much running means to me. And I, and I can't even describe why it is that way. And, I feel like you would feel similarly about that. You know, Mickey, I, I had a, a couple of speeches, as you know, this morning because I had to postpone my conversation with you. I'm glad I did because you're a nice way to kind of wrap up a very busy day that started at five o'clock in the morning. You know, because you know, basically a, a lot of my work is American. And, mm. and uh, so their day is seven hours <laughs> earlier than ours. And yeah. um, although we're tomorrow. But anyway, um, I was trying to articulate to a, uh, a running group what, why I ran, I've been running for 63 years. Mm. And um, all I could say was, I said, it gives me everything. And, yeah. it, you know, it's given me my health. It's given me my destiny. It's given me my career. It's given me, you know, my husband. It's given me New Zealand, <laughs> you know, on and on and on. But most of all, it's given me myself. And yeah. I think that that articulates it best, especially for women. 
yeah. that that every day we come back in touch with ourselves we feel our own self-worth our own power strength um and and women often don't get the opportunity to feel that yeah. and, and and traditionally you know and, and that's why we founded the the nonprofit 261 fearless which we'll talk about in a minute but most women in the world most have never had that sensation of, be, yeah. of being to value themselves and yeah. i think that's the reason i think that's that the is, reason it, that it, it's not about running a great marathon it's about just doing it yeah that is amazing in fact i was i'm um currently away with some colleagues and we're doing a virtual conference and one of them has is equally passionate about being active and we were talking this morning at the gym which because wherever i go i'm either going to be running or i'm going to find the local gym and she feels very similarly and we're like yeah, I just feel so sad for people who haven't discovered what we've got through being active, you know, like it's, it's such an, again, I, I can't even put into words just that the cup is full mm -hmm. when you are able to do what you can do being active. And what I find interesting with running as well is, you know, you, you, you feel equally as amazing after you do this amazing session or, or run as you do when you're five, 10 or like 20 minutes back from being injured and you can run five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 and you're like oh that is enough for me right now like it, it is that absolute gratitude feeling you know what that's it it's a gratitude feeling yeah um it and then i made up a somebody said what is 261 fearless and i said it makes you fearless free and grateful it, yeah. you know and that's absolutely gets it doesn't it <laughs> yeah yeah and it's um so many things but with, with 261 fearless what i love about like i was just looking through again at the um facebook page no i'm sorry the website so my good friend anna bassett is actually a run coach oh i Houston. love anna yeah she has a bad back how's she doing it, she still has a bad back oh gosh can't I we know. fix this i I've, I've tried to get her to along to my osteo who i think would be amazing mm -hmm. for her um and but but for whatever reason, it's kind of gotten to this point where it's either sore or she's taking medication for it not to be sore. And I really feel for her because she's such an active individual, you know, it's in her spirit to be active and to be yeah. outdoors and, and things like that. And she is she's every day gutted that she can't do yeah. what she wants to do. Yeah. And, and, a, and a, a bad back because I, I had one and I have one right now, but I'll tell mm -hmm. you that story in a minute. It's my own fault mm -hmm. this time. The, the previous one I had, you know, had me out of running for 18 months oh. and in, it was living, it was living a life really in constant pain, which back yeah. does yes. and, and lots and lots and lots of physio. But I mean, I refused, absolutely refused to give up on this. And yeah. you can see that I'm standing right now. I, mm. I, I started learning to work standing up at that time. Um, and I got, it was eventually a, a Kiwi who fixed my back and it was that mm. book uh robin mckenzie's how to fix your own back oh and uh, he was just a phenomenal phenomenal chiropractor and don't worry i've told anna about this as well um and but basically i should go to fish pond and order it for her or something but uh, <laughs> but um i i started doing his exercises and yeah. to this day all these years later you know mm -hmm. this was back in the 80s mm. um i i've continued to do those exercises and they're my absolute go-to thing you don't go to bed in the morning mm. and you don't do a workout before yep. doing those exercises. <laughs> Do you know, it's really interesting, isn't it, Catherine? Because I, you know, as a runner, we often joke that you're either about to be injured, you're injured, or you're coming back from injury. You know, there's, there's almost never any in between. 
and um, you do what you need to at the time. And, and like, so when you're injured, you're like, oh, I'm going to do these glute strengthening exercises because, of course, the physio always tells you your, your, you know, your glutes aren't firing. And I'm like, I don't know that my glutes have ever fired. I just really <laughs> need to. They've been on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I'm sure they've never fired. And I'm like, right, I'm going to do these exercises because I know they're going to keep me strong and, and, uh, and be a better runner. But things always seem to fall off, you know, and I, and I don't know what that is. And you only are reminded of that the next time you go out and something hurts and you're like, that's right, that glute exercise. I bet you had I continued to do that, yeah. wouldn't be experiencing this right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older, and in case people are listening and they're going to ask, I'm 74. I've been running for 63 years, uh, that, that it does take longer to recover when you're older. Yeah. And um, and therefore, it's better to stay in condition yeah, than, ever, than ever get injured because coming back always takes forever. Yeah. And um, and it's so frustrating and annoying. It requires such enormous patience. But yeah. I mean, you know, that's what we have as, as distance runners. But um, still. Um, now, you injured yourself in January, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, you, you followed me on Facebook, so you probably have an inkling of what happened. Did you hear the story? No, I, I haven't. I, I, well, I can go public with it now because I've actually started to be able to jog just a little bit on this back because I hurt my back. January mm. 1st, I said to my husband, Roger, I am in the best shape I've been in in three years. No Achilles problem, no hip problems, da, 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 da. Uh, and now I'm really going to start my program and get ready for Tokyo 2022 because I'm trying to get the big six marathons. And he said, great plan. And I felt so great. So, but I said, but first I've got to do the jump. And he said, okay. And what the jump was is that on my birthday, January 5th, I, uh, I made, did a fundraiser. I said, if, if you guys raise $3,261, I'm going on my 74th birthday to jump off the Wellington high jump, high board in Wellington Harbor, you know, that, that dive platform. Fortunately, you're not allowed to dive off of it because I probably would have said I would have dived off of it, killed myself. I just about killed myself. But anyway, I get up there and I look down and I realize suddenly um, this is a different different height, you know, and it's much, much higher than it was because the tide was out. Oh. And yeah, so it wasn't the matter of the depth of the water, but it was the, the distance from the water to the board was like another you know, story of a building. And um, I said, oh, God, these people have paid their money and I got to jump. So I jumped and we made a video and I was laughing and saying, you know, I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone. Well, I landed on my back. I, oh. thought, I thought I broke my back. But anyway, oh. I was in bed for three weeks and, oh. you know, my life, my life was passing before my eyes. And, yes. and I, oh, God, it was horrible. Really I had a terrible reaction to the anti-inflammatories. Oh, I was okay. once really a sick puppy. So yeah. I sort of lost January for my life. And, but, but honest to God, you can imagine how PO'd I was lying there oh, yeah. saying, first of all, I'm grateful for being alive. I'm grateful for the fact that at least I can walk. And I always look at the gratitude first. And I said, and you were really a stupid person. You know? <laughs> Do you know, dare I say it, Catherine? I was in my head when you were telling me the story. I'm like, Catherine, you're a smart woman. Yeah. What, what on earth? But isn't it? Oh, and then, it's, and then, of course, when you start, you began the story by saying to your husband, I'm in the best shape of my life in the last, oh, so I'm, it's almost that cricket, uh, the commentator's yeah. curse, isn't it? It is. It really yeah. is. But, but you know what? It was um, one of my more valuable life lessons, which is, first of all, even at 74, you can learn to grow up. 
Uh, yeah. and, and also that at a certain point in our lives, we really don't need to have to keep proving ourselves. You yeah. know, I'm always yeah. putting myself out there, taking on challenges, taking on mm -hmm. things. And so I, when I was lying there in bed, I, I kind of went through all the things on my bucket list that mm -hmm. now I'm not going to do. I don't need to do because they were all uncomfortable things. Yeah. Like Kilimanjaro. I really don't need to climb Kilimanjaro. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Taranaki. That's off the list. I really don't need to make an assault on Taranaki. It's a dangerous yeah. mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no, not no, a climber. I, I... Well, you know, I, I completely appreciate that because yeah. often people say, you know, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to spend time being uncomfortable in order to grow, in order to develop. And people have said this to me with regards to doing an Ironman or, you know, doing going mountain biking. And I'm like, I don't need that, actually. You don't. I'm, I'm really comfortable. You kind don't. Of, you yeah. know, I challenge myself in other ways. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like and the, the final one was I took off the Comrades Marathon. Well, you know, it's 56 miles. And, and, and I, you know, like, I thought it'd be really cool to be 75 and do comrades. Oh, that would be. But you don't need what? to do it. What? <laughs> no, why? I don't. Yeah, yeah. Do you why, know? Why, why don't I go all the way to South Africa and take a nice safari and go jogging, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. been done. It's been done by people yeah. much older than me. I don't need to do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you you know, you, you just said that you're a person that kind of took up challenges and, and that's kind of been your modus operandus. Is it that little fire that you've got that really pays your life for you and, and just how everything has evolved with regards to your, how instrumental you were at getting women running, essentially? You know, I think I think probably I got this chip on my shoulder about having to prove myself and bashing all the time. Probably in that Boston Marathon, you know, mm. that first race in 67 when the official attacked me and tried to throw mm. me out of the race. He terrified me so much and humiliated me so much. Then I made the decision in the race to finish it no matter what. I was going to finish no matter what, no matter how embarrassing it looked. But I usually do my homework and, I, yeah. and I, had, I had overtrained. I had run 50Ks two weeks before. So yeah. I, I knew that I could get through Boston. But it was in the race when I, I realized, I knew I was going to be pilloried afterwards because I, I, my first marathon was four hours and 20 minutes. And so I knew that people would tease me about that. Not the men. The men were wonderful. The men in the race mm -hmm. were always, always wonderful. But the official, indeed, the next day, while well, he had a press conference, instead of going to jail, he gets a press conference, um, where he suspends me and expels me, decues me from the race and, and suspends me from the Athletic Federation and said, 420, I could have walked it that fast. Okay, so I said, all right, you know, I'm not a talented athlete, but let's see what I can do if I work really hard. Yeah. And so there were many, many hundred mile weeks and nights with you know, sludge and rain and sleep out alone training because I'm saying, I'm going to prove it to this guy and the world that even a no talent like me can become um, a good runner. And I, I then, you know, it took me eight years, but I popped a 251 in the Boston Marathon, which is still, yeah. a, damn, still a damn good time, you know? It is. My, my PB is 255. And, okay. and I never managed to crack that 250 because, and it was, I could never run that fast now, but your 251, that's a stellar time. It's a stellar time. And in 75, it was it was like sixth best in the world and third in the right. U.S. I know. So, but anyway, boom. So I did that. And then and then it was like, okay, now we've got to create these opportunities for women. And yeah. again, it was like total resistance, you know. Mm. We got women official in the Boston Marathon. It took us five years. 
And then I began a campaign to get the women's marathon in the Olympic Games. And Mickey, I got to tell you, people thought I was smoking poppy. You know, <laughs> you got to be yeah. And the women were the worst to me. Well, and I was going to ask you about that, Catherine. What is it that, because I've, I've heard you say that a couple of times and that, you know, you got a really good support from the men around you, but for whatever reason, the women were just appeared to be completely unsupportive. What was it, that about? Because, and it's the same today when women don't support women. Yeah. And, and I and I knew it. And it just, yeah. it, I knew it was just going to be a matter of time yeah. um, that they were afraid. And yeah. here's an example. I was out training with my old coach one night and a person ran us off the road and yes. on purpose, just bore down on us and we had to jump. And I said, my God, Arnie, why is it always a woman who's doing it? And he said, because she's afraid of you. And I said, Arnie, all she has to do is put on her shoes, go out and yeah. run. And he said, I know that, you know that. She doesn't yet know that. Yeah. And I said, you know what? And then we were, I got mellow again. And I said, you know, when I'm 40, they're all going to be my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I was willing to wait. And you know what? It's okay. Because now yeah. there are more women runners in the United States than men. And, and it's the most glor glorious thing. And it's like you say, it's such an important part of your life. It's okay. I, don't, I'm, I hold no anger. I only hold a sorrow for them at the time because I really would have loved to have involved them, you know, yeah. in, in what we're doing um, yeah. and that campaign. But anyway, you know, campaigning for the Women's Marathon was the same thing. Uh, yeah. I was up against um, men almost always because they yeah. were heads of the federations. But I say at every country but the U.S., Canada, U.K., and New Zealand, the federations told me when I went there to organize a women's only race that it wasn't going to be successful. And they were very, very dismissive. Fortunately, mm. I had a you know multi-million dollar sponsor behind me. And, and we, I said, well, we're going to do it anyway. Thank you for your help. And we went ahead and organized it and he said well nobody's going to come and the women of course came by the thousands yeah. you know you give people an opportunity that's welcoming and not intimidating and and mm. fun feminine of course they're going to come and, and 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 they they realize hey you know i'm in a safe space nobody's going to heckle me or grope me and other women are running and we're there together it's you know uh, it it was hugely successful and and now, you know, we did get the women's marathon in the 84 games. <laughs> yeah. I, do you know, and I was watching, I, I, obviously I read your account of what you've just described and uh, I was watching the movie Free to Run and it showed footage from the marathon from Joan, I'm going to say Benoit, I'm not sure if that's how I say Benoit. it. Benoit, she pronounces it Benoit. And if you're Canadian, it'd be Benoit. But, okay, uh, oh yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> so um, Benoit and seeing her come into the stadium and I got absolute goosebumps watching it and of course I've, I know the story I've seen it before but to actually see the footage I can't imagine what it would have been like for you to have been there seeing that well I was a TV commentator for yeah. that and and of course and I knew all of the women really well I mean I kind of you know we'd grown up together if you see what mm -hmm. I mean yeah. and I, I actually always thought it was going to be Ingrid Christensen who was going to to win the race because she was the current world record holder and also because Benoit had been injured and then, you know, when she took the lead at 5K, I said, look, this is either the biggest mistake in marathoning or is one of the greatest acts of courage because you, you don't do that in hot weather on a flat concrete road. And, and she left. She's gone. Yeah. And, um, and it turned out to be one of the greatest acts of courage and one of the best marathon performances ever. But Greta Weitz, who was trailing her, ran a perfect race. She just left it too late. 
Yeah. <laughs> so interesting, eh? So and interesting. and, and how history has changed. Yeah. You know, if 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 Greta Weiss would have caught her at let's say 34 Ks, everybody yeah. would say Greta Weiss ran the smartest race in marathoning history. Yeah. So yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I uh so I've got a couple of claim to fame with my running. Um it's so funny. Oh, I'm a I'm a legend in my own head. Um, <laughs> no, you're, a, you're a hero in your own life. There you go. I'm a hero in my own life. So I won the 2005 Rotorua Marathon. And, but as you know, you know you you only have the ability to race whoever is there on race day, obviously. And thankfully for me, all of it's like all the fast runners were just not just happened not to be there. And that's actually that's no disrespect to everyone there because the the what the woman who came second, Mel Burke, is a fantastic athlete and she's well exceeded what I was ever capable of with running. But I remember I was running with two women. One of them. Wait, Mickey, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. Never apologize for winning. Okay. Okay. Never yeah. apologize. Do not diminish a victory. You were there and you beat everybody who was not there. Okay? <laughs> that is fantastic advice. All right. You don't ever, yeah. I mean, women do this all the time. Okay? Yeah. Okay. See, I've taught you something. <laughs> yeah, you have. Many, many things, Catherine. Um, I was running with Wellington Runner and she's unfortunately no longer with us. But she Oh, was Bernie Portensky. She was amazing. Oh my her, God, I, yeah. I wore her name on my bib in the 17th Boston oh, Marathon. Oh gosh, she was she, such an amazing woman and such an amazing advocate for running, her and her sister, and we were all running together at 29K. And they couldn't believe that I was still running with them because just because it, we, how they felt compared to how it appeared that I was feeling. They're like, Mickey, if you're gonna go, you have to go now. And I just took those words and I ran with basically the fear of God in me for like 13K because I passed who was, I was fourth at the time, passed third, passed second, passed first, but I passed first at about 34K. Oh, oh, oh. I know, <laughs> 8K was the, just the most scared I've ever run in my entire life. But my gosh, it, I still remember it, you know, and I still remember the feeling. I remember Bernie and her words of encouragement, you know, and that's the thing that, you get from running and women who run you know there's this there's of course there is competition but more so than anything it's just this collective feeling of support yeah yeah it's amazing to see it in a highly competitive race like that because usually you know even your best friend you know you, you're going to try to annihilate okay but yeah but um i i was uh, uh doing the commentary for the 2018 boston marathon which was horrific weather conditions with the tremendous yeah. cold, cold rain and fierce winds. And all of the um, uh, top competitors dropped out. Mm. I mean, they got hypothermia. And mm. I mean, they're, you know, you, it was a day to wear every bit of rain gear you had. And, you know, they, you can't wear bikini tops and bottoms. And um, they still had on their wet gear. But um, the woman who was favored to win the race was running with Desi uh, Linton, who won. Um, yeah. But De Desi, Desi was kind of the, the workhorse in the group, yeah. pulling yeah. the group. And Shalane Flanagan, who was mm -hmm. favored to win, had to stop at a loo. And so Desi went with her and, and, and said, okay, you know, stay with me and I'll get you back up with the leaders. And she got her back up with the leaders, but, but it was so cold that Shalane goes off the back and then the Kenyans go off the back and then the Ethiopians go off the back. And then there's Desi. Oh. all by herself oh. and you know the dream comes true you know the, the the workhorse is the one who's been out running in that cold and slush all her life 
and she comes through and wins the Boston Marathon. It That's was glorious. Amazing. It really was. Oh, oh it would have been. Catherine, when you were asked who was most influential in your in your upbringing, that the other people you mentioned were your parents, mm -hmm. and you said it in your book as well, is that they never treated you and your brother any differently, and they expected the same things from you, and they. I guess they opened your eyes to the possibility that it could almost be the same. Did you know at the time that that was quite different from what your girlfriends were getting, the messages or the, just the whole, you know, how was that for you? Well, I didn't realize it was my parents who gave it to me. I realized mm -hmm. I just didn't think the other girls got it. You know, yeah. that's how naive you are. But it was my dad who at 12 told me to, to I should run a mile a day so I'd make the field hockey team. And it was he who said to me, I, you don't want to be a cheerleader. Cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want people to cheer for you. And yeah. life is to participate, not spectate. I mean, all these wonderful pearls of wisdom kept getting thrown yes. out at me, you know. And, and, and as parents, we do that, right? You don't know what they're going to pick up, but, but keep, keep them coming. But at any rate, my mother was, was a huge, huge influence simply by her example mm -hmm. because she demanded that um, I get an education mm -hmm. and she demanded that I always earn an income or without the support of a man. Yeah. And she said, because you never know. <laughs> yeah. And I always thought it was because my dad was in the army and he was always going off to war and he was never going to come home again. But yeah. what she was saying is, is you never know about life and you, you damn sure better be able to always support yourself and, mm. and, and pave your own way. So both of them were huge. Yeah, when I went, to, when my girlfriends, when I was doing this mile a run, mile a day run, you know, to get ready for the field hockey team, oh, my girlfriends would say, you know, you know, you're my friend, so I'm just going to tell you, but you know, you you might get really big legs doing that, you know, and then of course later on it was like, you know, you're never going to get any boobies, and then it was like, um, you know, you, you're skinny enough as it is, and then it was. Um, uh, later, when I was then a mature woman, young, young mature woman, uh, you're never going to have kids. Your uterus is going to fall out. And all of these myths, you know, and it's bad to sweat yes. um, and, and it's unfeminine. You shouldn't do that. You know, I got that stuff all the time. But, you know, these are myths that, that prevail today hugely, hugely yeah. in, in other countries. I mean, you yeah. go to Southern Europe, South America. Forget the Mideast, you know, it's it's very, very tough in terms of the prevailing myth. Yeah. It's, it's part of why there's this terrific, I think, misogyny still exists in, in, in many parts of the world. It's because if if women are treated as cattle that mm. and, and, and baby machines or whatever, um, you know, they they will always be disrespected. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's another reason why running is so important, because it gives you the sense of empowerment and it's easy, it's cheap and it's accessible. So yeah. even poor women can do it. Yeah. And was it your experience kind of traveling around to different countries in your earlier years? Is that what kind of sparked this sense of there's more than just running here? You know, there is this like you must have been exposed to a lot of different lifestyles, which you wouldn't have had if you'd just kind of stayed domiciled in the States and just did your own running like your like, is that where this all kind of grew from, Catherine? Because, of course, 261 Fearless feels like it's a product of what you've just described and like a way forward. That's a good question because, you know, because I came from a military family, we actually lived all over the world. I was born mm -hmm. in Germany, post-war Germany. I was always told that moving, living in different places was an adventure. 
You know, mm -hmm. a lot of kids said, oh, my God, we moved three times. And my dad always said, you know, you're going to you always make good friends. You don't you're not you're not losing those friends. You're creating other friends. You and I said, yeah, but you no, know, no, no. That was always an adventure. And so when I was trying to get the women's marathon in the Olympic Games, I was totally unintimidated mm -hmm. about going abroad to figure out how to do it. And in fact, I had graduated from Syracuse University with a degree in journalism and public relations, my master's degree. And, and being 21 and extremely mm -hmm. cocky, I decided I really had to go to the Munich Olympics mm -hmm. to, to, to find out how to get the women's marathon in the Olympic Games. I needed to go meet these guys, these officials, to figure it out. So how was I going to get there? Well, I could get a student airfare. I took a loan for that. Um, but then I walked into the office of the New York Daily News. Now, can you imagine this? Walked in the office of the New York Daily News and said, you know, I just got my master's degree in journalism and PR, um, and I'm on my way to Munich to cover the Olympics, be at the Olympics, and you don't have a stringer, you should hire me. And they said, okay, can you write? And they pulled off some copy and they threw it down, and I wrote a story. He said, okay, great, you know, here, here's, we can't get you real credentials, but here's some passes and see what you can do. Amazing. So, now, I mean, that's really gutsy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, then, and then I got on a plane and went, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what, Catherine? Like, it just felt, felt when I was reading your story, it, and, and as you've just described it now with your parents, it, it just felt like they never, there were never these barriers put up to you. You were never told, or there was never this message that can only go this far or do this much, or you have to be mindful of this. Like, it felt like everything was just so. You know the world really was your oyster and it was up to you to make it what you wanted so the fact that you did that is absolutely unsurprising yeah sure we all need to step out of our comfort zones but one of the greatest things people can do really is travel yeah and that's another thing i absolutely love about new zealand is mm -hmm. that that every that the greatest travelers in the world and and the original vikings really yeah <laughs> yeah you know what's interesting also in 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 my little running group of 261 here in wellington there are about 20 women and uh, we sat down to coffee, I think, the, the first time we all got together. And I just went around the table and I said, I said, how many of you were actually born in New Zealand? One. Really? We had Zimbabwe, we had Finland, we had Ireland. These women had been all over the world and they had chosen New Zealand for right. a variety of reasons. But the perspective was fantastic. And, yeah. and that's why one of the reasons why I think this country is great is yeah. because it's a small country, so it always looks outward. Yeah. realizing its own smallness mm. but never thinks it's insignificant yeah you know? yeah that's a great way to put it yeah absolutely yeah. Catherine if you had to like pick one thing what would you be most proud of it in the general sense I would be most proud of changing uh, millions I guess of mm. many women's lives and empowering them through yeah. running yeah um, the simple act of putting one foot in front of the other it used to be you know being a major, major part of getting the women's marathon into the Olympic Games. Mm. But now with 261 Fearless, I realize that we perhaps, because it's in its infancy, it's only five years old. Mm. It's going to be five in April. I'm going to do a big campaign. Contribute. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to be five years old in, in, uh, in April. And we're already in 12 countries and five continents. Yeah. So, so how much bigger could it be? It could be revolutionary. Mm. Or we could have another pandemic and, it, and stifle growth for a while. I don't know. You know, you, you, you hope for the best when you have a startup like that. But that may, in the fru total fruition of time, be the greatest thing I did. But basically, I think it's empowering women. I never 
never get over the happiness of seeing a woman out running. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, it's almost maternal, I'll be honest with you, is because yeah. I, I made the very conscious decision not to have children of my own. I just mm -hmm. knew I couldn't do what I wanted to do if I had kids. Yeah. Um, and other people could do it really well. You yeah. know, I could do things I thought were just as significant. But every time I see a woman running, I say, ah, oh, yeah, she's one of mine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Could you have imagined that that's what you would end up doing? You know, like I can't imagine how it would feel to, to know that you are so instrumental in the whole running movement for women like it, it blows me away well yeah but i mean it's not like aren't i great and i feel wonderful i feel wonderful yeah. about it but i gotta tell you i mean you feel terribly responsible and and mm -hmm. and you know what you know you take on something and you have to take responsibility for it yeah so so that's sort of a never-ending thing and sometimes i'm not saying it gets tiresome but i get very tired you know very yeah. exhausted yeah. but um but listen you know the only way women are going to get ahead is for themselves to, to pick up and take responsibility. Nobody yeah. can do it for you. You have to take on that on that responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's a privilege, you know, oh, really, if you look at it that way, it's a privilege. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, uh, 261 Fearless is about empowering women. It's about educating women as well. I've, I've seen it is. That. We got a great educational program. Yeah. And, and we also have it's a business opportunity too. I mean, you can earn you can earn a living yeah. creating a nonprofit and, yeah. and and doing fundraisers and and creating programs and stuff like that. So yeah. there's absolutely no reason why you can't do that. Um, yeah. And um, I was getting ready to show you a picture of two six one fearless, but it's, it, we're we're oral and not visual today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, talking about visual, now's my yes. turn to ask you a question. Yes. You're wearing a shirt that says "Run New York." So I can see the skyline of the New York City Marathon on that shirt. Tell yeah. me about your experience there. Okay, so first I will confess, I 100% planned to wear this t-shirt when we talked because I just knew you love running, I love running. And you, there's a history with you in New York Marathon as well. Like you were quite close, as I understand it, quite close to the, I can't remember his name. And it's Fred like, Lebo, the race director. There yeah. you go, yeah, yeah. And yes, you talk a lot about that in your in your book as well. Um, but yes, I, we did uh, New York 2019 and I always wanted to do it. So I was in New York in 2011, I was in Washington actually, for a public health conference, which I managed to get funding for fully well only reason i wanted to go to washington was because it was four hours down the road from new york and i really wanted to run in central park like that was a dream of mine but i was injured at the time so i got to walk in there and i just got to experience new york for what it was and then in 2000 and at the start of 2019 my husband barry and i realized that if we we could submit our times which were sort of average really well mine was his was pretty good for him um and um but we would be able to we would gain places to new york so there's no question we were going even though by the time we got to november i think i must have been injured again because i didn't do a whole lot of training but it was the, the best experience of my life like the, the like i would take a new york over a, a marathon win or a pb of any day like <laughs> it is the most magical thing you know, we were both absolutely jet lagged. We got two hours sleep the night before. You have to get on the bus to go to the start line. But they give you bagels, they give you coffee, you get Dunkin' Donut hats. Like when the, <laughs> when the race starts, like you feel like you're in the league. You feel like you're winning from the start gun to the finish line because everyone is out there cheering for you. And I just, it was the most magical experience that, I, yeah, I loved it. 
great. I'm glad you had a really good time. That's terrific. Yeah. So how many times have you done New York, Catherine? I've run the New York City Marathon that many times. Let's see, one, Mm. two, five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The last time was 2017. Yeah, which was which was a wonder, a fabulous experience for me. Do you know similar to what you did? And when I won the New York City Marathon in 1974, yeah, um, it was held entirely in Central Park, That's and actually it was a harder race than it is now because of those the huge hill on the end. Yeah. So we had to do that four times. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, and it was terrible temperature that day, etc. But at any rate. Um, Soon after that, I would say in about uh, 1977, I started doing television commentary. And from then on, I did TV commentary one way or the other of the New York City Marathon. So so basically for about 30 years, I had covered the race Mm. from a sidecar of a motorcycle or the inside of a TV studio. Mm. But in 2017, uh, coming off the heels of a really successful Boston, I said, I'm going to run New York. And so 43 years after I won it, I ran through the streets for the first time, and it was oh. absolutely fabulous. Oh. You're right. Yeah. What I love about it is that, is that the whole city gets behind you, you know? It's not like New York doesn't care. Actually, I think it's like one of the things they must care most about. They do. And like, you wear your medals afterwards, and people, like on, on the way back to um, the apartment we were staying, and people were blown away that we'd done it and congratulated us and and only the way the americans can you know and then we saw people out the next day and the next day wearing their medals and we just just feel this real sense of camaraderie and community with those people and equally like people were continuing to congratulate them could never do that in new zealand you know? i know i know it is it is phenomenal well because in new zealand nobody'd wear their medal in new zealand because it, they don't want to be skiding right yeah. Or, yeah. or, or a turkey, you know, you're, well, you're turkey wearing your medal, right? But yeah. in New York, everybody, and the streets, I mean, imagine this, because this is, we're, we're, we're going audio right now. Imagine the clinking sound, uh, which you remember, of all those medals clinking on the street and people laughing. And there are signs outside of restaurants that would say, wear your medal to dinner here tonight and get a free drink, you know? <laughs> and. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I remember walking down the street and somebody just put some flowers in my hand. You know, just, just the enthusiasm is, is, is really great. And, and maybe that'll happen in New Zealand. But as Roger said, after he ran his first New York City Marathon, he said, the Americans certainly know how to give a party. <laughs> they really do. What do you think it is about the marathon that just brings that, like, New York is a big city. There are a lot of really important things that happen. So what is it about the marathon that seems to bring this kind of collective community? It's almost like everybody going to church or something together. You know, yeah. they, 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 they have this, this bond. It's really interesting, actually, on Marathon Day. Do you know New York has its, its lowest crime rate of the entire year? Interesting. And you'd think, well, this is an ideal time to rob all the apartments because nobody's at home. Yeah. Um, but but um, it's a sense of community pride and can do and i think essentially new yorkers in particular being really aggressive hardworking, mm-hmm. you know upperly mobile striving upperly mm-hmm. mobile people mm-hmm. um even poor people come to new york to try to find fame or fortune okay mm-hmm. everybody is you know this is a city you know, it never sleeps and they're all out there and i think that it's one reason why new york city has grown to be 55,000. It could be 100,000. 
-hmm. They turned down 50,000 people. Mm -hmm. So um, that 55,000 people are running. Um, you know, you come out and you watch the race and you realize that, hey, I don't have to be particularly talented. You see people without arms, legs, blind people, yeah. you know, there's a guy pushing him with, like, without really arms or legs, you know, getting pushed along. So you realize, I can do that. If he yeah. can do that, I can do that. Yeah, it's a yeah. sense, a sense of that that I can do feeling. Yeah. 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 It, it is amazing, and I think one of the things which has been really interesting over the last year, and is of course the pandemic, and that so many of the races have been shut down, and and I just I wonder whether we'll get back to this place where we're able to enjoy it the way that it once was. You know, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Well, Mickey, that's a, that's a big question. And, mm -hmm. and as I said, um, I just got off another call this morning and, and uh, I was talking to really one of my best girlfriends. And, and I said, uh, she said, are you coming back in time for the Boston Marathon, which has been moved to October the 10th yeah. with a limited field of 20,000, which I think is huge, basically. Yeah. Don't know how they're actually going to do it. And I said, sure, I'll be back if it's, if it's really back. But what is running, we are always speculating, what is running going to look like? I remember about 10 years ago saying to Roger, I guess coming in from the New York City Marathon, I said, you know, this is an epidemic on the run. Mm. And I said, all of these people are spending hours at, in the start, same starting area together, using the same toilet, sharing cups of water, drinking, mm. hugging, and then they're in the race and they're sweating and hugging and they're spitting on each other, not intentionally, yeah. but there's a lot of spit going on. Yeah. Really, it's not very hygienic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's quite amazing to me that uh, something serious hasn't happened before now. Yeah. So can we afford to do that? So so uh, health wise. Mm. So maybe what we do is there's going to be a different model. Mm. But it, I happen to think it's going to be just as effusive and just as enthusiastic. I don't think we have to be squashed body to body to be enthusiastic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to have that same sense of spirit. Yeah. No, I like that optimism, Catherine. That's that's really. Oh, I'd good. die if I didn't have optimism. No, I hundred percent appreciate that. So normally you'd spend maybe half your time, is it, over in New York, half your time in Wellington? Is that sort of how it's been? I, I would love to think I actually spent half my time in Wellington, but it was getting narrower and narrower and narrower. We were mostly down to about three and a half months in New mm. Zealand. And um, with mostly the summertime, like December, January, February. But, you know, along about in March, commitments got earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, and then we would sneak off for a couple of weeks in August to get back to check the kids in the house and all that kind of stuff. August isn't the greatest time to be in Wellington, although this August was great. It, but this lockdown has just been fabulous for us. I mean, I hate to sound gloating mm -hmm. um, and, and not sympathetic to a lot of people who are suffering, badly suffering. But but it was a very good time for us. Mm. Good training time, trying to just get settled, mm -hmm. um, get through a lot of junk that I didn't hadn't done for years, mm. um, and get to know my husband again. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been on the road so much. I, it's been we've had a wonderful time together. That's so great to hear. And so, Catherine, outside of obviously, we talked about the back exercises and your very unfortunate accident earlier this year. What do you do now to keep yourself staying fit and well? Oh, well, definitely running is the, is the key thing. And, mm -hmm. and I'm back up to, um, you know, uh, j trying to jog and I'm managing to do, you know, two minutes and then walk four minutes, jog two minutes, walk four minutes. 
um, and then I'll just inc try to increase that. Going to physio, getting getting over the injury, okay? Mm. But then then uh, running, essentially what I do is run on one day, mm -hmm. and then the other day do core work um, nice. and weight work. Mm -hmm. um, and and I and I you know to to make it effective, you, you got to work it hard. Yeah. And I don't like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it. You I have, have to. Yeah. I like I like it after I've done it. Yeah. Isn't it? Whereas running, I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So great. And yeah. now I remember actually from your book, you said that when you were beginning to run to get fit for field hockey, you took it upon yourself to have like a glass of milk and a peanut butter sandwich after dinner because you knew that you needed strong muscles to be a strong runner oh well you you remember that part of the story what i was trying to do is get boobies oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i was so skinny that oh. um that i thought if i if i looked up I, I was a pretty clever kid i would i would read these caloric charts yeah and the most most the highest calorie things were chocolate and peanut butter yeah. And so I figured if I had a chocolate milk and a, and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before I went to bed yeah. and slept on it, because they also said, you know, eat, eat earlier in the day so that you burn it off before you sleep. Yeah. I said, okay, get rid. If I sleep on it, then it'll make it twice as calorific. Yeah. And you know what? I, uh, of course, I hit puberty. That's, yeah. That was the big thing. And, <laughs> but I gained about uh, 15 pounds. What is that? Like how many kilos? Um, about seven and a half. Seven kilos. Yeah. About seven kilos in a year. Yeah. And and I'll never forget the the moment when um, the magic happens, as you know, with children overnight, right? Yeah. And I remember my father coming home from work one day, and I gave him a big hug, and and he said, "Hi, honey, how are you?" And, and then I heard him in the other room. And he said, "When did that happen?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's overnight, you know. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> So, um, so obviously as a nutritionist, that's probably one of the, you know, it's funny with books actually, Catherine, like, like I, I, I don't know what you like with books, but after I finish reading a book, I remember the feeling of reading it and I remember the, the general gist of what goes on. But I mean, if anyone asked me for plot details, I'd be rubbish, but I get that. But I do like as nutritionists, I, they're probably the things I pick up on is, you know, the food related stuff. Uh, favorite food for you, Catherine? Favorite food? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, it's pasta. Oh. I, and I know that's not the best thing, but I mean, I'm a total sucker for Italian food. Love it. Um, and I'm totally in heaven in, in Italy with a different kind of pasta and a different kind of sauce every night. Or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, but but you know, I, I eat a very healthy diet, you know, and um, and again, lockdown has been good for that. Maybe too much of it, a little COVID kilo here and there. But, <laughs> you know, basically lots and lots of vegetables. I tried, I've tried to move instead of from a carbohydrate, you know, main thing so that's on the side and, but there are lots and lots of vegetables and, and, um, always a salad. Yeah. I could care less about sweet things. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Oh, it's about but, always... but don't get me started on salt, yeah. salt and coffee. Salt. Oh yeah. <laughs> and coffee, too... coffee is a health food, you know, and actually people probably don't appreciate how much we need sodium and particularly as runners, you know, we sweat, you actually sweat. need to replace it. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Oh, keep, keep telling me that. Keep telling me as I drink my second <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> well, if you ever want that message to your 261 Fearless group, I'm more than happy to uh, get on and tell them all about the importance of sodium. Um, okay. Are you, you're a nutritionist. I'm a nutritionist. Yes, I am. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk to you again more about that later. That's oh, great. fantastic. Um, so, Catherine, I, I, I'm mindful of your time you've been working since five but i do just want to know like 
do you have a favourite run? Do you have a favourite race? But like a, a favourite memory, just anything which you kind of I don't know find yourself thinking back to in certain times and just get that real sense of ah oh, amazing. Yeah, I tell you what, it was the happiest day of my life. It was um, April 19th, 2017, when I ran the Boston Marathon for my 50th anniversary. Oh, amazing. And I'm, I'm going to write my second book about it because the pressure was enormous on me to, to be 70 yeah. and to run 50 years later. A woman had, had never run 50 years later, run yeah. a marathon 50 years later. No, and, and that doesn't mean I'm terrific. It means how few women ran, mm. you know, 50, 50 years before. But there was a lot of pressure. And, and also, it was the year finally at Boston when we hit 50-50 men and women. And um, can you imagine the feeling of, of having been the only woman wearing a bib number mm. in 1967 to, to now being surrounded by 13,500 women wearing bib numbers? And every one of them knew the story. Um, 125 of them, in fact, were wearing 261 shirts and had raised money for the, to create the, the, um, the, the nonprofit globally. Who, who they, their, their contributions sent us global. And everybody on the street knew the story. Yeah. And women were out there holding big signs that said, 261, go, go, Catherine. And they gave me, of course, bib number 261 again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then coming down the finish line and, and seeing, waiting for me with a medal was um, Joanne Flaminio, who was the first woman president of the Boston Athletic Association in 135 years. My goodness. And my husband, Roger, oh. uh, I wasn't expecting him because he was working really hard in the press room because he was yeah. covering the story. And he got out there and I said, you know, I've always wanted to kiss my lover at the finish line of a marathon. And this is going to be very embarrassing for him. But <laughs> you're going to do it. Hey, there it was right on <laughs> network news. Right. <laughs> but it was a sense of huge gratitude mm. for my health. Mm. I was if anybody can get sick, anybody can get injured. Mm. And but it, it didn't happen to me. Yeah. And um and so I, I was enormously, enormously grateful. That was my overwhelming feeling. And it all had come together. So what can I tell you? It was the best day of my life. It was one of those moments, I only think I'd done this once or twice, which is you look up and you say, okay, I'm, I'm ready. You can take me now. <laughs> I'm ready to go. It doesn't get better than this. <laughs> Catherine, what a fabulous story. And I will just you know, close out by saying, Thank you so much. I have so much gratitude to you. Like you really have like given us the gift of running and it is it, only a runner will know what what that even means. You know, it just it, I am honored to be talking to you today and I'm just so grateful. So thank you. You're so welcome, Mickey. And thank you to you and women like you who are spreading the word, mm. uh, sharing your enthusiasm and getting a lot of women just to take that first step of putting one foot in front of the other, it, it means the world and it helps contribute to what I think has been one of the greatest social revolutions of our time. Yeah. And it's only gonna get better thanks to women like you. So yeah. thank you, Mickey. That is awesome, Catherine. And um, so can you tell us like, how can people find out more about 261 Fearless? Okay, 261fearless.org, O-R-G. Just go online, we would love you to join us. We would love you to start a club as soon as we get the training back going. Um, we can we can train you as a coach or a club leader and we would love to have you part of this global organization or you can just contribute and be a member yeah. you know we would love that and and uh, and be a part of a global community of women yeah. uh, more about me is marathonwoman.com and you said you love my book but I, we haven't had a chance to, we'll do another podcast with this 
which is it's um, in the works for a feature film, oh, which is going to be great. That is amazing. <laughs> well, I cannot wait for that, Catherine. Well, I'm a little nervous about it, but I think it, it should be okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. So team, hope you really enjoyed that. And honestly, for anyone who is interested in exploring, running a little bit further, or who wants to get involved in the 261 Fearless group, be it to learn to be a coach or to just connect with like-minded individuals who share the same kind of values and the same interest in being active, absolutely go to 261fearless.org and you can connect with like-minded individuals. And of course, for the guys listening to this, you know where to direct your uh, the females in your life as well. Now you can also contact Catherine or find her on Facebook and on Instagram, Catherine Switzer, and her website, CatherineSwitzer.com. Highly, highly recommend her book. So well written, just an absolute page turner, and she really just goes into all of the details in and around her career as an activist for women worldwide. Cool team, so have a fabulous week. Next week, I in bringing to you my conversation with Dr. Tommy Woods, anyone that is in the health and wellness scene, into longevity, into athlete uh, development or health, who is a regular listener of Nourish, Balance, Thrive, will know Tommy Wood from that arena. So keep an eye out for that. And until then, connect with me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition over on Twitter and Instagram at mickeywillardin.com or over on my website mickeywillardin.com where you can sign up to one of my online nutrition coaching programs or book an individual consultation with me. On that note, I have just launched my Monday Matters guided eight-week fat loss program that incorporates protein-sparing modified fasts. You might remember that I spoke to Craig Emerit all about that. Uh, incorporates diet breaks. Dr. Eric Helms and I talked about that as a way to practice maintenance and as a guided program that you are able to connect with me and other people going through that fat loss journey at the same time. So it's perfect for those wanting to get into shape for the summer or in shape for the ski season, depending on where in the world you are. So that's available over on my website, mickeywillardin.com. Until then team, have a fab week. Look forward to connecting with you next week.